Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Welcome back to the Generations Church podcast. I'm Jeff Luddington, a lead pastor at Generations Church, and I am doing what I would just call some fun podcast in between big series. As you know, if you've been listening, we finished a year-long series through the Heidelberg podcast called Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude, where we worked our way through the major doctrines of our faith. And now I've just been interviewing some friends. I, I think one of the greatest things about ministry is that I get to do it with people I like. And so uh, not only have I done that, but I thought, man, it might be a good time to kind of just share from my heart. And so who could I get to um, kind of be my co-host when, um, if I'm going to be interviewed. And so I dug deep, deep into the archives and out of nowhere, here you are. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whenever and how are you are listening. That's right, listeners, like Arnold Schwarzenegger's Android, I'm back, but unlike California lockdowns, it's just for a limited time. My name is Vinny Hanke, and I have the privilege of interviewing Jeff Luddington, the lead pastor of Generations <laughs> Church today. Uh, I'm looking forward to hanging out with you, buddy. It's good to see you. Oh my gosh, I was trying not to laugh as you said that. That was awesome, and uh, it is good to have you here. So we're going to do two podcasts uh, where we just kind of swap hats, right? Uh, yep. You're going to interview me right now, and then I'm going to interview you, and, and really, honestly, for me, the great joy of ministry. Oh, I mean, there's many, obviously, seeing God work. I mean, seeing people come to faith, just amazing things. But one of the most pleasing things they get to do day in and day in and day out is just work with people I enjoy working with. And uh, you, my friend, for sure, are that. Well, thanks, buddy. It's uh, the feeling is definitely mutual. Uh, let's jump in, shall we? So uh, it is not a commonly known fact, but men are typically not born as pastors. They have oh. a journey in toward it. Yeah. Uh, and one of the great things, uh, the testimonies about God's grace and glory in your life is just kind of your personal biography, moving from a place of um, being it really an enemy toward others and God to a place of being a, a friend of God and a, and a, and a lover of neighbor. Uh, can maybe give us a, just a quick personal bio for those of you who, who might only know the story of Pastor Jeff, uh, but not the personal story of Jeff Ludington. Yeah, I would love to. Uh, funny enough, I was texting an old friend this morning, and uh, it was about my wife. And just, uh, she's one of the few people that have known my wife uh, since before she was chronically ill, which is a conversation for another day if you don't know anything about that. But uh, it's interesting to look back and and have people that people that knew us before this season of life. Uh, for me, many know my story because I get to share it a lot. But uh, you know, the short version is I come from a broken home, uh, left kind of some deep wounds in my life. And I rebelled against all those things. And so I, um, long story short, uh, at a young age, got involved with drugs. And uh, as a kid, when you get into a drug habit, uh, there's only, a, a, you know, a couple ways you can pay for it. And so, you know, that all I can think of is really something illegal. And uh, so drugs led to crime, uh, crime led to trouble. Um, I got kicked out of my house at 13 sent to live with my, or out of my mom's house, sent to live with my dad and uh, didn't make it just about two years with him. And I got kicked out of there. So I've been on my own since I was 15 and, um, you know, lots of crime, lots of trouble, lots of struggles there. 
And, uh, you know, as drugs lead to crime and crime leads to getting in trouble, getting in trouble leads to jail, jail leads to prison if you're good at it. And uh, right. there I went. So I came to faith, um, a, you know, a, you know, a three-time convicted felon in and out of prison, in and out of jails. Uh, and that's where I met Jesus. It was actually in a cell in a county jail. I had been out of prison for about 90 days and was arrested again, headed right back. And at the time, I um, honestly didn't know if I was going to get out. And um, I had done some things that were, uh, they were kind of aware, the police were kind of aware of what was going on and not really aware of what was going on. But yeah. um, I, had I been, uh, had I been prosecuted for everything I'd done, uh, I would either be getting out now or not at all. And um, and so I was there in county jail, knowing I was going back to prison, wasn't sure for how long this was, uh, mid nineties. And, um, honestly, the thing that probably changed my life was that I was okay with all that. I, I was, I'd become institutionalized. I'd done more time in than out, I think, and more of my adult life. And so a guy that I'd been with on the streets, uh, just had been in trouble with, and, uh, got arrested for something separate, although he was with me the night we were together, uh, got, I got in trouble. Uh, he said something to me that changed my life. And uh, it's, a, it's a long story, but to get to the place uh, just to make, that makes sense of it, he was one of those guys that would stab you as fast as shake your hand. I mean, he was, he was just a guy that was a, a bit dangerous and, and unpredictable. And I asked him a question, and, and long story short, his answer was, you make me nervous. And the kind of guy who makes everybody else nervous, I realized that's what he had just said to me. And yeah. so I was confronted with a, and I would have never said these words, but there was this moment of introspection um, of who I'd become and how okay I was with it. And yeah. so I went back to my cell and uh, I settled with another person. I told him he needed to leave. He needed to be out in the day room. I needed to be alone. And I prayed. Uh, I looked out through this, you know, kind of, you can, you've seen these in the movies, these long, tall, thin windows that go through a cell door. And I looked out at it and I saw some people sitting at a table that looked joyful, even though they were in the same place I was, and they were headed back to the same place I was, you know, and, and uh, the thing they had going for them was they were sitting around a table with some Bibles. And uh, I had heard the gospel as a kid, kind of, I mean, I'd, I'd been exposed to the church, um, I don't remember the gospel. I did go to church. So I'm, I'm assuming I heard the gospel. I did know the story of Jesus backwards and forwards. I'd read the Bible um, pretty much cover to cover uh, as, a, as a kid. I mean, for the most part. Uh, and uh, so I prayed and my prayer wasn't super flowery. Uh, it wasn't one I would recommend for people. Uh, it was more of bargaining like, hey, God, you always said you could change people. If you would change me, I will follow you for the rest of my life. And, and I honestly did not mean outside of prison, I actually thought, okay, this may be my life. And I wasn't asking to get out of it. I deserved it. So um, God met me in that moment in that unflowery, but genuine prayer. And God began to change my life. He healed me of a drug addiction. I used drugs the next day and <laughs> was convicted of it very much by God inside of me, prayed deeply about it and have never used again. And I, I just, God met me in that moment. God met me that next day. And, uh, you know, as the, the story goes, you guys can all figure out, I didn't do the rest of my life in prison. And I did get out at the end of the 90s. I married my high school sweetheart. 
And I was asked a question by a pastor one day, if you had all the time and the money in the world, what would you do? And I reflected back on my time, my time locked up after I came to faith, as I read the Bible incessantly, literally wore the covers off. You've seen it, my old paperback yep. New Testament. I had to keep taping it back together. And I thought, well, the thing that changed my life was the Bible. I'd want to teach the Bible to other people. And that, I, that, was, a, that was the question I answered in 2001. And the rest is history. Yeah, awesome. It's led to some pretty uh, amazing and neat things that you get to do for Jesus as a Bible teacher. Uh, one of those was putting a uh, finger to keyboard in this modern day uh, to write a book, actually, to, yeah. to teach the Bible, not just uh, verbally through preaching and uh, using tools like a podcast, but actually to uh, use the written word as a means to teach. Uh, maybe give us a couple of minutes on the book sure. and what kind of led to it. What was the um, what was the spark or the idea that, you know, uh, Albert Muller says that every book is an argument. Um, mm -hmm. What idea or argument are you making with uh, your book? That's a great way to ask that question is what is the argument you're making? And thanks to Al Muller, right? I mean, he yeah. said more brilliant things than I will ever say. And so um, the argument I make in my book, which is called Frustrated, How the Bible Resolves Life, Life's Tough Questions, the argument I make is that people here or the premise is that people have deep problems inside of them when they show up at the door of a church um and at the time when i wrote it we were meeting in a high school we hadn't gotten uh, we hadn't bought a building yet uh we were a young church but i watched people as they showed up and of course i've pastored several churches in the past i'm kind of a serial church planter replanter and and uh i was getting generations started I was watching and there were some specific stories of people who were showing up deeply broken. And I don't, I don't say that with any, like they're broken, I'm not. I mean, I, I look back to my time and I came to faith more broken than most. So right. I say that with an understanding of it. And I watch as people show up to churches and I hear their stories and their story, I had some consistent stories. People would show up at a church with something deep inside of them they're looking for answers for, and they weren't getting good answers. Um, where the church I pastor is in Cerritos, California, it's LA, and uh, we're more specifically in the greater Long Beach area. It's, I think it's the third or the fifth largest LGBT community in America. And so high dense LGBT community. And one of these stories was, I watched a young man show up and sometimes he'd show up looking like a guy. And sometimes he'd show up looking like a girl. He was very uh, confused about who he was and um, and yet he was showing up to church and I would hear these stories, um, gay and lesbian couples, transgender folks, you know, struggling with gender dysphoria, um, others, people with deep depressions, people with ongoing struggles, you know, just brutal battles with pornography, addiction, things like that. So all these things, people were showing up at churches and the answers they were getting were junk, man. And, and I don't say this to disparage the church. I'm sure I'm guilty of the same thing, but they were man, they were getting politicized answers or answers that overlooked their sins and overlooked their struggles. And, oh, don't worry about it. You know, all things work together for the good of those who love God. And, you know, I mean, just, you're just kind of like, okay, you can't solve my life in, a, in 140 characters, right? You know, like I need some deep answers. And so since that resonated with my past, I wrote a book called Frustrated. And my frustration was, in fact, publishers always, you know, your title should be a positive thing. But as I explained the book, man, they said, okay, well, frustrated makes sense. You know, 
So subtitles, How the Bible Resolves Life's Tough Questions. And the idea is that no matter what kind of answer you may find in this local church or that local church, the Bible has deep, rich, satisfying answers. And that I believed, and my argument would be, that the Bible has answers to all our struggles, right? And, and that's ultimately because Jesus has answers to all our struggles, but that there are better answers than we are getting. And I, I wanted to provide some, or at least provide a pathway to answering questions. At the end of the book, I just say, listen, I don't care if you ever remember my name or this book. I just hope you know that the Bible has really good, satisfying, deep, meaningful answers to all your struggles. Yeah. I mean, to pick up on the theme, like we, the Bible making an impact in your, your own life, wanting to become a Bible teacher, and then using that written published work to point people back to the Bible and ultimately its central figure and redemptive story, the right. gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, so, you know, like I, I, I enjoy alliteration. So we've talked about your personal biography. Oh, here we go. We've talked about you as a published author. Now let's move into passion in ministries. Oh, my gosh. There. Yes. Yep. I know you miss me. Uh, what, what would be something that you are, are, are passionate about in ministry that is revealed in, in what you do uh, as a pastor? I think you should take that alliteration and you should send that to Will Mancini for his, king, you know, for his uh, kingdom concept. That is much yep. better than apostolic esprit. So for those of yep. you listening that know who that is, that's funny. All right. So passion and ministry. I think if I were to answer that question with one thing that I am passionate about, other than the depth and richness of Scripture, uh, I would say it's men. I, I think that the church has done a poor job with men, and uh, that there's risk to that. I mean, there's churches that are very patriarchal and hierarchical and, and just oddly about men and not women. And so I don't say it in that. I mean, I'm a complementarian. I, I believe that men and women are equal but different, and that we are built to offset one another. But the church today, modern day church, um, is somewhat dominant with women. The church is about 60, 40 women and men in most cases. Um, when you call for a, a, a prayer time, uh, you want people to gather together and pray, you know, it's, it's uh, the guy who called it and, you know, how many other, other women show up. I mean, guys are pretty much missing in the church. They've abdicated their role as spiritual leader. Um, and they are necessary. Uh, this is kind of emblematic of the garden story, right? Uh, we, we go from God's creation of Adam and things are very good and all this stuff. And, and then God speaks to Adam. Adam is doing his thing. But Adam's alone. And so the woman is created and the story shifts. Uh, and it goes and gives us the story of how sin enters into human history. Oddly enough, uh, sin does enter through Eve, but it's Adamic sin that we're held accountable for. And uh, most people see that first sin of commission uh, as Eve eats and then Adam follows. Uh, but for me, there's a sin of omission, right? There's a sin right. of not doing what you should have done, and that was Adam's. Adam, man, what I would love to have seen, so in my MMA version of the of the world, Adam should have snatched the serpent up and, and choked him silly and just said, hey, listen, man, that's my wife. Get out. You know what I mean? And that's what I would have loved to have seen. And a second, you know, solution there that may have been uh, powerful is, you know, after Eve sins, Adam steps up and, and steps in and they repent or something, but nothing, none of that happens. What we get is a man who's pretty much like a lot of dudes in the church, probably staring at the naked woman. You know what I mean? Like he's just caught right. off guard and doesn't do what he's called to do. And so 
we see that a lot in the church today. Men have abdicated their role. They're missing. They, they've gone MIA. They think their job is to go to work and slug out 40 hours a week and then, you know, eat potato chips and, you know, watch football on the, on the couch. And they're supposed to be the spiritual leaders, man. They are to be the pastors and shepherds in their own home. Uh, man, the statistics of the impact of men in homes is staggering. Uh, how impactful it is when you have a father of faith. And so my emphasis, I just want to call out men. I want to see men rise up and be what God has called them to be, right? And, and they are to be, again, with their wives equal but different, but they're to lead, right? They should be leading their homes. They should be leading the church for that matter. But I want to see all men raise up and be the spiritual leaders in their homes. That, for me, is probably one big passion that is, you know, something beyond teaching the Bible. Yeah. You mentioned earlier just the, the density of the LGBTQ community and your passion for calling men to be men as God has designed them and called them to be flies almost, in, not almost, flies in direct contrast to that new worldview or that new morality, which, you know, uh, denies the reality of gender, denies the creation design yeah. of male and female. How have you seen folks answer that call? And, and lead it to flourishing in their life, whether whether it's biblical, you know, whether it's men in the church who've heard you call them to repentance and to walk in obedience, yeah. or you, or you've seen women, you know, heard heard the call to walk in repentance and, and obedience. How have you seen that that call to embrace whom God has called you to be in your gender role lead to flourishing? Yeah, that's really good. One of the some of the some of the clear you know kind of stark painting of a of an image for that is uh, what took place when you and I were together at Oasis. And um, to give some background, um, in 2007, I went up to a church about 100 miles from here where you were. And the idea was it was hemorrhaging people, money, and mission. I mean, just bad, right? So get up there to this church yeah. that's struggling and dying and kind of needs to turn a corner, but doesn't know how. And so uh, it had been a passion of mine to reach out to men and, and to kind of empower them to be leaders in their own homes. I planted a church in Huntington Beach. Uh, that was super easy. It was kind of built in the DNA. It was kind of there. So I get up to Hesperia, where the church was located. And in the high desert, one of the biggest struggles was drug addiction, which really resonated with my background. In fact, I had lived there back in the days when I used to use. And um, one of the things that was true about the church you and I pastored together over time was that we became a place where many got clean and experienced recovery, drug addiction, things like that. But that meant we were getting addicted people to come to the door. And so what was common among stories and what was families, be they married or not or whatever, what we see is families come through the door where the, the wives had been kind of holding pieces together, the women, the moms had been holding pieces together. And there were dudes that were, that were losers, man. They were strung out, in and out of jails, in and out of prisons, uh, you know, many gang members. We, we reached a lot of people that way. But the women had been managing the finances, the house, and been the responsible ones for so long. And I'm not saying that any of those things are endemically male or female, but the leadership had fallen to the women because the dudes were losers. And as they came to faith, they began to try, you know, they, they felt called to step up and lead. And there was this struggle. And, and it was powerful and prominent. And, and I mean, like we had lots of conversations about this with women saying, Hey, listen, no way is he going to do this or no way am I going to listen to him. And 
it was this powerful shift that took place and this again this took place over years but right. as men began to lead there and it was a a power struggle in the beginning because the men had not earned that place of leadership or they had failed their place of leadership to circle back after they came to faith and, and began to be maturing and you know discipled it was powerful to see some of those men raise up and become leaders that are many of them now leaders to this day and so yeah. i think that was uh, probably one of the most powerful impactful uh, settings for that yeah absolutely it, it it's rem reminiscent of what god promises in, in genesis 3 as a result of sin right yeah. that the male will seek to rule over his wife and the wife would seek to domineer or or dominate her husband and so you yeah. can see that as a result of the failure in men and their families have to walk back through that that, that yeah. sinful broken conflict cycle in order to restore what, what god has designed right the, the yeah. love and respect the love and and service within the context of, of marriage roles you know right there at the end of at the end of genesis 3 right where adam has failed uh, this woman is created he names her woman she's taken from the side of the man he doesn't lead well she sins he sins right and we are accountable for his sin the the struggle between marriage comes in the curse to eve adam spiritual death hard work pain and labor you know all that right after that is this kind of underpronounced passage and it's right after god strips them of their efforts right he pulls you know away the fig leaves and says listen you can't cover your shame I must, and he slaughters the first animal, covers them with animal skins. That's right after that, there's this quick line, and it says, and Adam called her name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And it's this powerful place where Adam kind of reinserts himself into that role of leadership. He renames Eve. They start over again. And so inside of grace is this opportunity to return to what God has created us for. And we see that even in that passage. And so that's what we got to see over time with men stepping back up, you know, having grace cover them, be redeemed. And even the women, right, as they struggled through this to release some leadership to their husbands who in the past hadn't earned it, right? We get to see this. So very, very powerful thing. And so I love to call out men. We have gifted, amazing women in our church, but the ability to call men to rise up and do what God has called them to do is powerful. Yeah. I'm always struck by God's call in Genesis 1 and 2, when he places man in the garden, he calls him to work it and to keep it, to mm -hmm. to cultivate and to produce an environment in which things flourished under his care. And so that's the the, the call I've heard you extend to man, is, is to create yeah. an environment where those under your leadership can flourish, can achieve and fulfill all that God has called them to be and do all that God has called them to do. Um, testimony in my own life and marriage and family um, as a result of that, and I know many other men too. Hmm. Thank you. One of the things we get to do in an interview like this is push in a little bit into personality. And so I thought okay. we'd, uh, we'd move into a big finish lightning round. And so I'm just going to kind of give you I'm some ready. shotgun uh, quick hit questions. You just give me the first uh, thing. and We'll get through as many of these as we can. Ready? All right. I'm ready. Okay. Real quick. Favorite book of the Bible? Oh, Nehemiah, man. Nehemiah and his rebuilding. I, I don't think anybody who knows me uh, is surprised by the answer. Uh, putting hands to people. Yep. Uh, yep. Favorite verse of the Bible. <laughs> Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will take from you a heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And, yes. I, and I love that taking away a hard heart 
and giving us God, giving us a heart that can beat for him. Awesome. Uh, favorite apostle? Oh, Paul, I think I've learned as I have started and handed off in quick time sometimes that I've understood some of his struggles. Okay. Favorite reformer? Favorite reformer. I think I'd get booed if I didn't say Calvin. So, uh, man, <laughs> Calvin is the founder of the theology that we deeply love. I'm staying with John Calvin. Okay. Uh, other than yourself, favorite modern preacher or Bible teacher? <sighs> Okay, so you and I both know my top two, and uh, one's controversial, one's not. But they're friends of ours, man. Uh, Matt Chandler is the most pastoral gifted teacher on the planet. And the most gifted preacher is Mark Driscoll. And uh, knowing them both, uh, they are the best communicators alive today in my mind. Yep, I would agree. Uh, last book of the Bible you preached out of? I just finished Exodus about three weeks ago, whatever it was right before we started Advent. So the second to last Sunday in November, Exodus. Um, nice. Yeah. Man. And then uh, last book you read for fun? Last book I read for fun. Well, they're all fun. Um, I am reading right now Kingdom Come by Sam Storms. I'm not done with it yet, uh, but he puts forward an end times position uh, of amillennialism and critiques all the other end times positions that may not sound fun to a lot of you right fun for me but if you know pastor jeff that's fun for that's him. fun for that's that's as crazy and as wild as i get all right all right so i gave you a bunch of softball ones now we'll get into the, into the hard stuff okay uh, what is the guilty pleasure song on your playlist oh i'm a i i love pink as long as she's like a chick <laughs> anthem thing bro yeah. and i think pink is amazing yep sorry awesome. i just right. i know i lost all my credibility no worries favorite christmas carol I don't really like Christmas carols, but um, I do the the traditional Christmas hymns. Uh, um, what's I and see, I'm terrible at this. I'm really not into it. But um, was born a king and, and yet a child. What's that man? What is that? What song? child is this? What maybe? Yeah. Anyhow, I love theology of lines and theology, like O Come Emmanuel, the th theology, and that is amazing. But yeah, I'm not. I'm, I don't do that a lot. No worries. Uh, fill in the blank. Taylor Swift is. Uh, taller than me. <laughs> oh, it's just true. It's a big, right. tall girl, bro. No worries. Uh, favorite late night snack? F food. I am, my <laughs> worst habit is that like when the clock hits eight, all of a sudden I am starving. Um, I eat cheese, like slices of cheese and meat at night, a lot and fruit, which none of that's good for you. Anyhow, and a lot of it, I'm guilty. Right. Uh, favorite TV show. If you're going to sit down and just turn your Ooh. brain off and... Enjoy some entertainment. What are you watching? Ooh. Um, wow. I think overall 24 was probably my big, uh, that was good, man. Um, that was really good. Uh, yeah, right now I'm trying to find something I can like, and, and I use TV as a, I got to shut my brain off and just do yeah. something fun. Um, yeah. And so there's not a whole lot good going transplant is this, uh, thing about a surgeon, uh, a surgeon from another country, anyhow. And um, I think I like watching medical shows that have ethics struggles in them. Mm, and uh, yeah. Chicago Med used to do that a lot too. Yeah. Uh, or um, uh, Code Black was another one. I like watching the ethical struggles. To how do you reconcile things in your mind? Those are those are interesting. Yeah, awesome. Uh, and then last one, and perhaps the deepest. And as a theologian and pastor, I'm, I'm hoping to get an answer. Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? I'll just answer it really simply. It is wrong to be a vegetarian, <laughs> right? Uh, so plant-based is cool if that's your starting point, but to eliminate meat 
man, listen, I eat meat and what meat eats. So uh, animal crackers, uh, I haven't had in a long time, but I think it is good and and right to eat animal crackers that feels very noaic yeah so yes sir awesome well thanks jeff (laughs) i appreciate your candor and embracing a a little bit of the silly side of ministry with me this morning for those of you who listening uh you can connect with pastor jeff on social media you can find him at generations church website you can listen to his preaching there and you can also search out and find the generations church podcast uh, wherever you cast your pods All right, have a great day. For more information, visit our website at ginfamily.church. G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at ginfamilychurch.com.